We acknowledge the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, where this podcast was produced. We pay respects to their elders, past and present, and extend this respect to the lands you're listening from. Sin Media and the Parliament of Victoria present your questions answered in Unpacked Parliament. Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Unpacked Parliament, a podcast all about what you want to know about Parliament of Victoria. Today we're going to be talking about representation and leadership. Members of Parliament represent constituents with a diverse range of lived experience on the floor of Parliament. Today we're hearing from MPs who are the voice of underrepresented communities, such as people with disabilities and people from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. We will also hear about the way regional and rural Victorians are represented in state parliament. Later in the podcast, we'll be hearing from Tim Bull on his role as Shadow Minister for Disability and Gail Broad, member for the rural northern Victoria region. But first up, we'll be talking to the leader of the Victorian Greens, Samantha Ratnam. Samantha Ratnam is the member for Northern Metropolitan Region and this green spokesperson for many portfolios, including multiculturalism and women. Unpack Parliament. Hi Samantha, what do you see as the barriers for members of the cold community, culturally and linguistically diverse, when it comes to engaging with Parliament? There are a number of barriers our culturally diverse communities experience when it comes to engaging with Parliament. And I think it's worth thinking about the different types of engagement. So Parliament is one part of the political system. It's the sometimes the most visible part of the political system, but there are lots of other parts that lead to that pathway. And I think it can look like a very intimidating, exclusive and distant place to a whole bunch of people especially to our culturally diverse communities, of which I'm a a member of that community. And I come from a migrant background as well. And a lot of our culturally diverse communities come from migrant backgrounds. So when you first arrive here, for example, you know, places like Parliament seem really far away. They don't seem like they engage everyday people and they seem like a place for the elites, essentially. And finding out how to influence what happens in our parliaments can be really tricky. It took me, you know, a number of years after living here to understand Um, what those pathways could be. So one, it's knowing the system and knowing the pathways to participate. Um, You know, how can you get in touch with your local representative? What what should your local representative be doing to engage you? Um, And then holding them accountable for that are really important, but it can take some time to learn the ropes, essentially. And then there are the, you know, very overt barriers as well. For example, ensuring that we have Um, information about parliament and politics in diverse languages, um, in culturally appropriate channels to communicate that information. And I think there are still gaps. We've made a a lot of progress, but there are still gaps that persist. Yep. So you mentioned that there are some gaps. What are the challenges that coal people encounter when pursuing a political career? I think one of the biggest barriers that I've heard people speak about, and certainly it's been my first-hand experience, and also want to acknowledge there's a diversity of experiences within our culturally diverse communities. So I'm not uh, attempting to generalise this. I think we have to kind of listen to the diverse experience and learn from them and address the gaps. I think if you don't see your communities represented in those positions of power, it can feel like it's almost impossible for yourself to be in those spaces. If you see discrimination and exclusion, it might feel really intimidating to be able to put your hand up to take place in those spaces. And once again, the pathways that allow a lot of people, for example, if you have prior information and support to engage in political engagement pathways, it becomes so much easier. For example, if your school 
is running sessions on political participation and uh, runs tours to parliament so you get to experience the place physically, it can mean a really big difference between whether you think it's a pathway that you are interested in and want to take part in versus if you don't have any of those opportunities. So the resources that you have access to within your schooling environment can play a really big part. The resources you have access to in your community environment, you know, are there youth centres, are there youth workers that you can engage with to understand how the system works. If you don't have that, it becomes so much harder to participate in these places. And we know our culturally diverse communities traditionally have less resources to participate than uh, non-culturally diverse people. Um, I love that you mentioned schooling and community institutions, but what about parties? How do you think parties can better support our inclusion? I think all political parties have a responsibility to support that inclusion. They should look at what pathways they're creating to get information and grow awareness within the community, particularly in terms of young people who are going to inherit the system. They should be doing everything they can to do more and more outreach. And I certainly, it's something I think about a lot. Um, I really try and support as many people visiting the parliament as possible so they get a, a sense of the look and feel and the experiences within Parliament and recognise that this is a place for them as well. So we all have a responsibility to break down those barriers, identify those barriers and provide structured, resourced and meaningful pathways for people, especially from culturally diverse communities, to participate in politics. And that's through political parties as well. Have you personally experienced unconscious bias or stereotypes in your political career? If so, how have you addressed them? You know, the topic of unconscious bias and stereotypes is really present in the political world. You know, we've made progress in terms of a lot of the very overt, explicit forms of discrimination and bias and racism. Not that they don't happen. Unfortunately, they still happen as well. But we've made progress where it's become hopefully less, much less okay to get away with very overt racism, although the work still continues there. You know, a lot of that kind of bias and discrimination can take very covert or implicit forms, and that's that kind of unconscious form. But you experience it when you are the recipient of that bias. And I've certainly experienced, for example, when I entered both local government and state parliament, you know, the types of conversations that people will involve you in. And it's sometimes you're, it's through the exclusion that you realise that there's bias operating. So if somebody doesn't think that, you know, you should be in that conversation or you're powerful enough to be in that conversation, they can exclude you. But by being excluded means that you're not able to then be part of the solution making. And that's really critical. So You've got to, we've got to constantly scan the environment. They've also got to be allies and advocates in these spaces to identify what's happening. And I found one of the biggest things that's helped me is to talk with others and talk about an experience that might have left me feeling uncomfortable, but I couldn't quite put my finger on why I felt uncomfortable. But when I talked about it with others, we got to unpack, oh, that's kind of unconscious bias. You know, there's repeated patterns of behavior that is only being leveled at someone like you because you look different, you sound different, you're from a different place. Uh, and it's good to unpack that with others so you recognise what might be happening. It might be more covert and harder to identify, but it's still having an impact. As a leader of the Victorian Greens, is there anything else you do to actively promote diversity and inclusion within your party and in the broader political landscape? One of the things I think it's really important is that we speak directly to our diverse communities about how important it is that their voices are around the decision-making table. It's very hard, for example, if you come from a migrant community, you know, that first few years you're busy doing the work of survival. You just have to do everything you can to set up a life in a new place, often with 
very little to begin with. And it takes a lot of hard work to do that settlement work. And that certainly was our experience um, migrating to Australia as well. So often there's not the time to think about what more you want to do with your life in a place like Australia. It's really important we talk about those experiences being around the decision-making table or what is going to end up happening is the same group of people, often an elite group of people making decisions on behalf of a whole bunch of other people without the lived experience around the table. So I think it's really important that we impress upon communities that we really want to hear their voices. We want them to get elected because I think the way we're going to solve the big crisis that we're facing from the climate and environmental crisis that we're facing to housing affordability, um, to um, ensuring that we have proper inclusion and equality in our communities, we need the diversity of our community around the tables to solve those problems. I can't wait for our parliaments to reflect the communities that they're there to represent. Unpacked Parliament. Thank you, Samantha Ratnam, for speaking on the importance of cultural representation in Parliament. Next, we'll be talking to Tim Bull, Member for Gippsland East and Shadow Minister for Disability, Ageing and Carers, Weatherman Affairs and Racing. As we've mentioned in a previous episode, a Shadow Minister is a member of the opposition that closely examines the work of the government and individual ministers. Tim Bull has held his seat in Parliament since 2011 and is passionate about representing his community's needs. I know you hold a few shadow ministerial roles in Veterans Affairs and Racing, but um, I wanted to hear about what you do in your role as Shadow Minister for Disability. Yeah, look, obviously it involves quite a bit of travel around the state talking to different uh, disability groups in rural and regional areas. One of the more interesting points of the disability uh, portfolio is that there are so different, many and varied examples of disability hardship related to that disability and there's no simple blanket one solution fix to a lot of the problems you in in the disability sector you've got to treat each case on a case by case basis and try and resolve them uh, to the best of your ability some are uh, very difficult to resolve Uh, in other cases it's just a matter of putting people in touch with the right people and giving them the right connections and giving them some guidance. But there's no hard and fast rules. I want to hear about the accessible ways you get the opinions of varied people with disability. Yeah, look, a lot a lot of the issues and the challenges come to you. You don't necessarily need to go looking for them. So we get a, a you know a large number of uh, contacts, if you like, whether that be emails or phone calls from different people around the state. You know, we have regular meetings with stakeholder groups. You know, whether that be Carers Victoria or a specific uh, other stakeholder group. There are there are literally hundreds of them uh, around the state that represent certain types of disability, but also overarching groups that represent people with a disability more generally or carers more generally. So a lot of the challenges uh, that we hear can be uh, similar across those different cohorts, but some are very unique as well. So a lot of the, a lot of the uh, I guess, communication and liaison uh, comes to us. We get a lot of meeting requests uh, as MPs and as Shadow Minister for Disability, I get a lot of meeting requests from those stakeholder groups and we certainly try and have as many of them as we can. Uh, but we also get contacted by individuals and individual families with unique circumstances that really need to be uh, looked at 
on a very specific problem solving basis. So, uh, yeah, th that's pretty much how the uh, the contact and the two way communication operates uh, across the sector. Yeah, thank you. It's yeah, it's great to have so many stakeholders. I guess they get to do the research mm -hmm. and have that lived experience that you can just draw on. Uh, what's most important to you about representing your community and your constituents? Well, what's most important is obviously when people vote for you, they expect you to take uh, a strong voice for your region to the parliament. So whether that's uh, disability or other issues, um, you know, they expect you to stand up for your region. So I try and do that. Uh, we often have contentious issues that pop up where there are differences of opinion in your community. Uh, and obviously, if you side a particular way, no matter what the issue, there's going to be a cohort that are generally a little bit dissatisfied with the way that, you know, you, you've uh, lent your thoughts on that particular issue. But what I try and do is make sure I listen to all sides of the argument. At the end of the day, you've got to put your head on the pillow at night and have listened to your conscience and known that, you know, in your heart, you think you've done the right thing. So that's the rule that I generally try and abide by. My area, I represent uh, Gippsland East, uh, or better known as East Gippsland. But, I mean, we've had some pretty tough times of late with uh, the bushfires in 2019-20, burn up a huge amount of our electorate, put a lot of people out of their homes, and then COVID flowed straight onto the back of that. So... It's been a really testing time and I think people in your community want to see leadership uh, in, around solving the problems and getting things back on track and uh, taking their views to Parliament. So that's really what I've tried to do uh, on behalf of my community, come down here and represent them strongly. Thank you to Timble for speaking on his role representing people with disability. You're listening to Unpack Parliament. Next, we'll be hearing from Meng Hang Tsak, the member of the Legislative Assembly representing the District of Clarinda in Melbourne southeast. Hang Tuck migrated from Cambodia when he was 16 and represents one of the state's most diverse electorates. We spoke to Hang Tuck about his experience. What are the main challenges that culturally and linguistically diverse people often encounter when they're pursuing a career in politics? I would rather think that there are advantage and disadvantage. The advantage is that uh, being a uh, from a migrant uh, background, I thought I uh, understand what the needs are, how to approach in terms of when it comes to a diverse uh, community, and that uh, has been my advantage. I would think. The, the disadvantage or the barrier would be the language difficulties and also sometimes the different working working culture and uh, coming from a country political uh, systems, different system, could be a little bit confused at the start. Uh, but Australia has been a very welcoming uh, country, very inclusive, so I'm very, very blessed. I thought I understood a lot about multiculturalism, but when I come uh, being uh, honoured and privileged to be elected to state parliament, then I realised that there are more uh, that uh, need to be uh, learned uh, because different culture, my culture cannot apply to other hundreds of cultures. So it's all a big learning curve. Although I said at the start, uh, being a migrant myself, I would understand more, but not really. 
Have you personally experienced any unconscious bias or sort of stereotypes in your political career? And how have you kind of challenged or addressed them? I must say it's been a, a very, very receptive, uh, very good start. I got elected as a councillor in uh, 2012. I thought that was a bit more sort of challenging at the time. Maybe I'm new to the job. Maybe I'm not used to it uh, in terms of uh, meeting with a lot of people with a lot of uh, from different cultures, but also with a lot of uh, demand. Uh, but when it comes to state uh, parliament, there are more support, of course. Uh, my staff, uh, we call EO, who are very experienced and very passionate about uh, also their community, same as me. Of course, the uh, unconscious uh, bias, I would say, uh, they're still there, but there's always uh, room for uh, improvement, uh, also from my part. Uh, try to understand a bit more uh, working culture as a parliamentarian. No two days are the same. Clorinda is one of the most diverse electorates in Victoria and has been for many, many years with more than half of the residents in the electorate being born overseas. In representing this electorate, how do you promote diversity and inclusion within your electorate and then in the broader political landscape? Yes, this is uh, the best part of uh, of being a member of parliament for my electorate. I'm very honoured and uh, privileged uh, to, uh, to talk to to uh, many different cultures, but then uh, it's all about one voice, the many voices of Victorian, which I'm very proud. I uh, always uh, encourage uh, our community from different backgrounds to uh, be active uh, citizens and at the same time uh, being inclusive. I uh, would say there's no better place uh, to be a parliamentarian uh, here in uh, Victoria and, of course, uh, in my electorate. Get to get to know, get to understand, get to learn uh, different cultures, different aspirations. And then I realized that we all share similar or the same aspiration, which is doing better for our community. No two days are the same. I uh, like to attend, you know, and privilege and honored being invited to different uh, community groups celebrating uh, their cultures, their traditions. And ultimately, it's not just about dancing. It's not just about different clothes, different customs, different food. But then we share our common value, which is, uh, you know, education, public health, concerns for our children and how to uh, make our place even a better place to live, to raise kids and also uh, to work. A lot of people, uh, when I said I'd like to invite you to parliament and uh, some of the multicultural communities say, oh, it's very honoured. And then when I ask the next question, you know, you can't even come to parliament without having a member of parliament to invite you. It's a, it's a house of, 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 um, of everyone. So that's, that's, that's one thing that I will uh, continue to encourage our community member, you know, come to Parliament House yeah. to see uh, what our parliamentarian uh, have uh, sort of uh, done, uh, representation, strong representation for community. And it's okay to engage uh, with our member of uh, Parliament. We all, uh, you know, uh, do our best job to represent our community. So uh, because in some culture, uh, some uh, community because of uh, where we came from. It could be uh, politicians uh, had not sort of uh, take their community uh, seriously or, uh, you know, different level of governing. I'm talking about uh, other countries, not here. And then because of that culture, so we feel that meeting member parliament would be the last resort.
Mm-hmm. But we here also a service provider to our community and direct uh, where service uh, can be can be received. What other initiatives or policies do you think are needed to ensure more representation of this culled diverse individuals in political positions? I'm I'm very uh, very pleased that you asked this question because I uh, before coming to state parliament I uh, work as a uh, suburban uh, lawyer and I do understand the hesitation in terms of getting access to mainstream service, which uh, all are available to our community uh, members coming from a different system, political uh, system, uh, judiciary systems. Uh, Sometimes it could be a very big place uh, for our multicultural uh, community to find their their way through. We have uh, things in place to encourage and to ensure uh, that a community know where to uh, find access uh, to mainstream service. For example, even uh, with the uh, police uh, force, which uh, Cambodia, where I was born and uh, uh, and, uh, grown up, up to 15 when I came to Australia, talk to a police officers or reporting uh, or to have any um, conversation at all uh, with police officers would be would be quite a scary thing, right? Uh, but then here it's normal. The other day, my kids uh, who is nine and seven, um, the nine years old, just say, "Oh, Papa, I, uh, I want to say to hello to to a police officer. I want to be a policeman." I thought, oh, okay, that's that's yeah. very good. So, but in the uh, multicultural community, we even have. I'm very pleased. Uh, you know. Uh, have the multicultural police unit in the same uniform but from different background. This would make a lot of people from different culture to feel that it's okay uh, to be engaged, uh, it's okay to uh, report. Coming to uh, domestic violence and reporting domestic violence, I think there's still a bit more uh, work to do uh, in gov- government and agencies and those who involved in this job has been doing a tremendous uh, job to keep our community safe. But I think from our uh, community, a bit more uh, that could be done uh, to uh, really engage community awareness so that uh, our community members understand that it's okay uh, to report uh, a violence, you know, your your neighbor. So it's not it's not just, you know, it's your neighbor, it's their family, uh, they do whatever they want, but it's incumbent on us uh, as a good citizen uh, to report things that we see uh, as not okay. Uh, but some culture uh, would think that it's 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 not right to uh, to interfere with someone else's family's uh, issue. Yeah. That's why I say there's a bit more uh, that we can uh, do in terms of uh, engaging uh, with our uh, multicultural uh, community. Thank you to Hang Tuck for speaking with us. You're listening to Unpack Parliament. Gail Broad, member for Northern Victoria, spoke to us about how she represents her rural electorate. Let's hear from her now. As a representative of regional Victorians, how is it different to represent the needs of regional Victorians as opposed to members who represent metro areas? Yeah, look, it's so, it is very different. I mean, people are always the same wherever you meet them. And certainly if we were to go overseas and you'll learn just someone is from Victoria, you'd suddenly have a very close bond, regardless of wherever you lived in Victoria, if you're in the middle of Melbourne or if you lived right, you know, in a remote location. We've definitely got a connection. Um, but just the practical realities are that a city electorate is very different um, to 
some areas that are in northern Victoria, for example, don't have sewerage connection. They don't have great mobile. They don't have internet connection. Uh, they don't have much public transport. You know, so and even the local councils. There's 27 different local councils in the area. But when you're speaking with those mayors um, compared to Melbourne, Melbourne's high density living. Uh, you know, a lot of houses, which means a lot of rates potentially for a city council. Whereas in a country, for example, they've got much fewer neighbours, much fewer houses, a lot, you know, thousands of kilometres to cover. Uh, whereas it can be just a few kilometres to cover in in a city type electorate. So it is quite different. I guess that's just a practical example of the realities that you're dealing with. Um, and I see just the difference between. Bendigo, I guess I'm based in Bendigo and that area, whereas there's people that are 20 minutes out that feel like they don't have, yeah, what Bendigo gets, for example. So so I guess, yeah, just being mindful of the challenges that come with living in some regional areas and how to ensure that those people are well represented in Parliament. Thank you for that. With more culturally and linguistically diverse communities settling in rural Victoria, how do you engage with them to ensure their needs are being met and understood? Mm, I think that is a really good question. And there is a lot of different groups and a lot of diversity. Um, some areas, there seems to be a lot more diversity than others. And I guess since I've been elected, I'm definitely trying to get out there and you know um, let people know that I'm there. That's probably your first key thing, uh, going out and attending events and being at meetings. And also, you know, we've just put information out in the papers, um, advertising on a number of different radio stations. I guess there's social media as well to connect with people. And I do have a team that are happy to help people as well, particularly if they've um, you know, got challenges and we've got services that we can connect in to help people understand better. But yeah, that process of awareness is definitely something that I'm in the middle of at the moment and certainly will be building up over the next term as well. Thank you to Gail for sharing her time and experience representing rural communities. Representation in Parliament is important to ensure that everyone feels seen and valued. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Unpack Parliament. We'll have another episode out next week. You can also find updates on the Parliament of Victoria website. Thank you to MPs Samantha Ratnam, Tim Bull, Mangheim Tuck and Gail Broad for speaking with us. This episode of Unpack Parliament was written, performed and produced by Abia Fatima, Dylan McBurney, Nicole Yaneza Bhagat Singh and Stella Thompson.